This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. I am back from my honeymoon. Andy has officially been sworn in as a lawyer. We are ready to get down to work and prepare for the NBA regular season with another division preview. But first, Jimmy Butler wants to party crash everything, so we have some words to spill on him. Before we officially dive in, though, just want to remind... Implore, beg, and plead everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Andy and I absolutely fall in love with everyone all over again whenever we see those ratings go up. So please, if you haven't taken the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day to search us on iTunes, Hardwood Knox, give us the five-star review, leave any feedback you have in the comments. We love hearing you guys as well. You can also find us wherever podcasts are offered now, including Spotify. Andy was the one that happened upon that. Uh, it had been in the, the works for a while, and it seems that it finally took. So you can just find us anywhere. Hardwood Knox can be in your life 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have already rated and reviewed us, if you're subscribed to us, just get the word out there and maybe recommend us to people. We've seen that uh, – People who stumbled upon us on accident have actually sometimes liked the show, so just throw the recommendation out there if anyone's looking for a pretty good, not entirely shitty basketball podcast. But before we really dive in to what we are here to talk about, we have to ask, Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. The afternoon was really entertaining after all those... Why is that? I was going to say the afternoon was really entertaining after all those Jimmy Butler tweets from Woj and Shams came through. I don't I mean we knew that this the situation could get uglier once it was it, clear that the Timberwolves and Tibbs and Scott Layden and Weather Glenn Taylor's being stubborn as well but once it became clear that they really were going to play hardball there was always the potential for something to happen but you kind of thought like it was it went from 0 to 100 it almost felt like because he wasn't really around the team and then all of a sudden he's just he just shows up to practice, and and maybe that's where we should start. Can you give us the rundown of yeah. what happened today that just sent Twitter uh, into a frenzy and was really just overall ridiculous? I think, I think the word I would use to describe this is theatrical because the the entire thing seems like some sort of staged drama to me at this point. Well, that might be the word too, staged, contrived. Yeah. It feels a lot of it feels like it was just willed into existence and I feel like it was staged and, and willed by jimmy butler and his people like you said he randomly shows up to practice today um Late, there's a report, mind you yeah i was gonna say there's a report that you sent me from yahoo that talks about how he shows up late subs himself into the scrimmage uh to join the third team and beat up on the starters apparently he's just yelling at everybody 
the whole time. Um, Woj had some details on that. Woj called it a tour de force, which I just thought was a hilarious <laughs> way to describe the whole thing. So anyway, he completely hijacks practice. Um, he's going after Towns and Wiggins specifically, saying, you guys can't win without me, which <laughs> that's probably true, but neither here nor there. After he hijacks practice, then he has a sit-down interview with Rachel Nichols, who, by the way, is already in Minneapolis. Um, she tweeted out that a, apparently Jimmy Butler or somebody from her his camp called her last night uh, and said, I'm ready to talk. So she's there. This whole thing just feels so set up by Jimmy Butler's side. One of Woj's tweets read like something that Jimmy Butler's agent or somebody else fed him word for word. It's the tour de force one. Um, Cause the first two or three tweets from Woj were very, uh, they could be taken in a very negative light as it, as they related to Butler. And then all of a sudden this one comes out of nowhere that just describes him as a tour de force and everybody's like mesmerized. I by can't not laugh at tour de force. Every time you say it and he said it, <laughs> Woj, who is just by the way, a fantastic reporter. I, I really do like him, but he said it, uh, while he was on Sports Center before, and oh it, was, my. it was even more incredible just to hear out loud. You need to title this episode "Tour de Force." It's got to be in there somewhere. You got it uh, done. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I think that's pretty much the gist of it. At least that's what I saw over the last few hours. Like we both said, it it just it all feels very staged to me, and I don't I don't know who this helps at, at this point. I don't know if this accelerates the trade. I don't know if this slows it down. Um, it's every bit as crazy and confusing as it's always been, and maybe even more so. Yeah, and I, one of the things that really gets me here in this situation, and so for Jimmy Butler, I don't necessarily agree with the way he's going about this. And let, let me be clear, this is tremendous content. I've had a blast on Twitter today. I made a thread of... That thread um, was me. Uh, yeah, of just Jimmy Butler pretending to talk to people, what he was saying to his teammates at practice. This is hysterical from the outside. I don't know that he needs to be this forceful about it, but it does seem, to to his defense, and again, I don't know that I necessarily support what he did, just attacking teammates verbally, um, although it did say in the Haynes report from Yahoo that Wiggins dapped him up after the practice. It's It's all just so confusing, but to his credit, it was clear there were issues when the season ended. Like those reports have come out, a lot of them from the athletic uh, 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 that say Butler was pretty adamant that he wasn't happy in Minnesota as soon as the playoffs were over. And so this isn't news to the Timberwolves. And if uh, Tibbs just kind of decided not to react to it until now or do anything about it, then I could understand why Butler's frustrated because how many times has he requested a trade now we we saw the report the other day i think it was from shams um and john krasinski at the athletic which said butler met in person again with Thibodeau to reiterate his trade demand now the timberwolves do not have i don't think people think they have leverage in talks to the heat because miami doesn't have cap space and there is some leverage there but their leverage is limited because jimmy butler is going to be a free agent and because everyone knows that he's going to leave and because everyone knows that he wants out and now everyone really knows he wants out all that said, the Timberwolves don't have to settle for a dog shit offer, and you can almost respect them holding out um, for something better. I don't know how much they were pushing uh, the Heat to get more than Josh Richardson, a first round pick, and then whatever filler was involved. Did they want Gordy Jang? 
to Miami? Were they trying to get Justice Winslow and Bam Adebayo as part of the deal? Who knows? You can kind of respect how they slow paid it from that perspective. Again, though, the, the fact that this has been going on for months and they didn't really decide to do anything about it until now is just a mark against them. My bigger issue, though, and it's, as you talked about before, Butler showed up late to practice, subs himself in, just steamrolls the starters alongside the third stringers, is verbally just eviscerating his his teammates. How is Thibodeau just letting this happen? And then how how and he's letting it happen, it seems like, because he he enjoys it or supports it. And this was the tweet from John Krasinski of The Athletic before that says, Stan Van Gundy, now an analyst with ESPN, uh, talked to Minnesota coaches who said, best practice of the season, loved the intensity. And as Krasinski also pointed out, you have a player, comes late to practice, destroys his teammates just verbally, emotionally, whatever, leaves, does this ESPN interview with Rachel Nichols, who... Uh, if you want someone to do this type of interview, it's Rachel Nichols. I'll say that right now. But Jimmy Butler goes, does that interview, reiterates he wants out. He One of the things that caught me is he said, it could be fixed, but I don't think it will. And it's like, what does that even mean? But he does this, and then the coach's response, not even just the coaches, the coach president of the entire fucking team, his response is basically, <laughs> this is great. This is awesome. Are you kidding me? Like, is that... I just this is such a fundamental failure on Tibbs's part. It's it's just a, absurd. He has been so bad throughout this entire situation. And while we're quick, especially on this podcast, to criticize Andrew Wiggins, while we all know some of the problems Towns has had about his defense or maybe disappearing on the offensive end, we need to talk about how shitty Tom Thibodeau is at player development at this point. It kind of seems like, and is he so set in his ways that it, he's going down with Butler? Does he just want out of Minnesota and he's hoping that buyout is coming or that he gets fired so that he still gets his money? I don't understand any of it, but the the primary culprit to me at this point, particularly after what happened at Timberwolves practice, is Tibbs. It's it doesn't matter whether you agree with what Jimmy Butler did, and I don't necessarily think you can just because it was just so in the faces of his teammates. And not only that, but as you said, it was just completely contrived and scripted knowing that Rachel Nichols and ESPN were there to do that interview for Tibbs to kind of just allow this uh, to happen, to facilitate it, to even perpetuate it to some degree is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. I can't disagree with any of that. Um, I'm thinking back on coaches that I've had, and I, I think particularly my coach in JUCO sometimes liked when practices got intense and guys started getting in each other's face. And it, it just um, – I think there is something to that. But not, not in this situation, not for a player who has voluntarily skipped out on all of training camp, shows up – how long has training camp been going on now? Two weeks? Three weeks? Yeah. Um, so not, not only is he showing up to this particular practice late, he's showing up multiple weeks late to the season, and you just let him hijack the entire practice. This is, this is more than hijacking a practice to me. This is a guy who has – you have allowed him to seize control of the organization. Um, everything, <laughs> everything for the Minnesota Timberwolves is basically halted in, until they can get this situation resolved. And – so much of the power seems to be in Jimmy Butler's hands right now. Um, yes, ultimately the Timberwolves control 
whether or not they make a trade. But <laughs> do you really want this guy to continue to just sort of steer the ship in this fashion until you do pull that off? I mean, it just seems crazy to allow this to keep going. And I'm with you. There's there's some organizational, <laughs> massive organizational questions, um, especially concerning Tom Thibodeau. I just I don't <laughs> I don't know where they go from here. If it's not like give us give us another good offer, best offer, whatever, we we need to get this done now. Um, and maybe now isn't the time to strike because maybe they're going to get lowballed for the next couple of days because of this report. But man, they need to get this resolved as soon as possible, at least you know from my perspective. What do you think it does to his trade value? This whole saga. Do you think it may, you just well, talked I, about how maybe teams will lowball them for the next week? I don't know that think, they were really in a position to demand much from any team that wasn't the Heat to begin with. Yeah. In the immediate aftermath, if you're if you're you know Joe GM for the some random team, do you want to throw your hat in the ring after hearing all this? The or Heat definitely you? still would. This he, Jimmy Butler. After all this, actually, he seems like even more of a Heat player. <laughs> Pat Riley's probably excited too. Um, gosh, I don't know. I feel like in the immediate aftermath, if I'm a if I'm a GM for another team, I'm probably not throwing out some home run offer right now. Or, or is is this Unless like thinks, you know this stirred the pot enough to get Miami moving, and then you think, oh well, now we have to beat Miami. Um, there's so many. <laughs> So many factors to take into account here. If let's let's take Miami out of the equation because they seem like the most likely candidate to actually do this. If you're in a front office for a team, do you want Jimmy Butler on your team at this point? I would still it's say not like those. Let's. I'm I'm, I'm going to take a few more teams out. It's, it was the Clippers, the Nets, and the Knicks. Right, were the ones that he said he well, might resign with, and the. Yeah, and then yeah. Well, that those are the teams. Some of them that would would be worried if there there's clearly a fundamental problem with the locker room dynamics in Minnesota. And so, if you're the Nets, if you're the Knicks, and you have these young players, I don't know that you want Jimmy Butler around them because it That's doesn't seem like, doesn't exactly. seem like he meshes well with them. And it's not just this team. He did this with Chicago too. Not this, but I mean, there was issues there too. Right, and even the Clippers could have some pause just because you have Shake Gilgis Alexander, who I assume they wouldn't trade for Butler anyway. Uh, Jerome Robinson, you have some young guys there as well. It would be kind of funny if, for some of the other teams, though, this whole soap opera had the reverse effect. Where I mean, look at what is coming out about what Minnesota's coaches have said. And if you're a GM, you know, with your Pat Riley right now, like. Oh man, Tibbs gets off on this crap. We need to strike now because he's probably going to enjoy this. Like, is he is like is Tibbs like drunk with chaos? He's just addicted to it or something. And it probably isn't going to have that effect. But is is that maybe if you're if you're the Timberwolves, is that kind of why you're letting that message leak out of the organization that this practice was good because you're trying to save face somehow and not completely bilk yourself of leverage? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of attempts at saving face right now, uh, <laughs> especially that that Woj tweet with the tour de force. I mean that that was the most obvious. He's being spoon fed something from J- Jimmy Butler's camp I've ever seen. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Do you think? And I think this is unless you have anything to add, but this is the question we're still 
dealing with. We're inside a week of the regular season. Is Jimmy Butler with the Timberwolves on opening night? I'm going to say yes for the sake of chaos. I root for chaos, so I'm going to say yes as well. <laughs> It'll be funny if fun, – I mean, funny is one word for it. I'll feel bad for whoever's on the receiving end, but he's he's probably going to blow up on some teammate on, on opening night. Well, if he's willing point. to make this statement and to publicize it the way that he did, I would not be surprised if he if he wanted to publicize it further by doing it on TV. Well, Haynes had said at Yahoo that Butler was actually out of shape, and so what if he what if he just gets manhandled when the Timberwolves open their season? Because you know, beating up on the Timberwolves starters really isn't all that impressive. <laughs> I wonder if Derrick Rose was guarding him. <laughs> well, he guarded Carl Anthony Towns in the post at one point. The whole thing is just such a mess, and I ultimately, I kind of do still think he'll be there on opening night, unless Glenn Taylor really just drops the hammer now, but you have to believe that if he was going to, why didn't he force that heat deal to go through? I don't think you're going to do any better than Josh Richardson and a first-round pick as your head your headlining return. I just don't know what team is going to roll that yeah. dice, and, and kind of just especially now, maybe it's not even a matter of, are we worried about how Jimmy will fit in a locker room? It's just why should we give up anything of value for him when this situation is clearly so far gone? Josh Richardson offer. Um, was that turned down because Miami wanted or Minnesota wanted both Richardson and Bam? It didn't seem like it was entirely clear from Mark Stein over at the New York Times who reported that, but my guess would be that Minnesota pushed for something like including Jang or trying to also get Winslow or, or Adebayo. And I don't, I mean, Bam Adebayo is good. I don't know of how much value he is to a Timberwolves team that has Carl Anthony Towns. I guess you can play them together, but you also have Taj Gibson. It does seem uh, that they just pushed the, because it, Stein said that they had been exchanging paperwork, or maybe Woj said that. The reporting's been all over the place from everyone. And that's the other aspect of this, by the way. So many reporters have been on this with such good intel. The, the Timberwolves are just, they're, they're Sith at this point. There's probably leaks all over both camps right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the first person to do this, and I wish I could remember um, who was so I could give him credit. But have you ever seen the comp of... Josh Richardson's first three seasons compared to Butler's? No, I have not. It's crazy how close it is. Here's Jimmy Butler per 36 minutes in his first three seasons. Um, 12 points, five rebounds, two assists, one and a half steals, half a block. Um, 46.8 effective field goal percentage. Now here's Josh Richardson, and this isn't going to work as well when it's not visualize so maybe we'll throw this in a little stats thread when we post the episode um richardson 12.8 points 3.7 rebounds three assists one and a half steals 0.9 blocks per 36 with an effective field goal percentage of 51 and a much better three-point percentage too 30.9 for butler 37.6 for richardson um advanced numbers like box plus minus and win shares per 48 Favor Butler pretty heavily, but the counting stuff is really, really close. Um, so back to what you were saying, Josh Richardson in a first, I, I think that would be a pretty good deal after all that's gone down for Minnesota. If they come out with those two things, I think I think you just sort of cut your losses and move on. <laughs> I'm wondering if there was just the other tinier part of the trade because Richardson 
for Butler doesn't work straight up, is that would turn the Timberwolves yeah. off? Like, I, I would yeah. be if if they were trying to get someone else from the Heat, then there would have to be another sizable salary going out. It, so it's I'm just wondering where it fell apart and what it was that Minnesota was pushing for. Well, it'll be interesting to see if it gets resolved before <laughs> opening night because we are getting real close. We are getting close, and hopefully, like you said, when the Timberwolves play their first game, that Butler is is still with them. And and I don't know if it's better if he plays or doesn't play, so that we get if he doesn't play, maybe there'll be all these reports being leaked out from his camp during the game, and that could be just as entertaining. <laughs> They're, well, they've. Uh... They appear to be somewhat shameless when it comes to this whole process. They're they're in San Antonio, too, to open the season, Wednesday, October 17th. And that would be if there was just all this Butler drama unfolding right in San Antonio, right after the Spurs just dealt with all this Kawhi Leonard stuff, would be just kind of some nice symmetry. <laughs> Man, the NBA just doesn't – it never slows down, huh? Nope. This was we, every this, year. Well, we, talked about, we talked about Kawhi Leonard probably every other episode last season. Yeah, it's and, just the, the whole thing is Butler. There was we got what would you say this offseason? There was maybe like a two and a half to three week down period where there was basically nothing. Yeah, in like September, it seemed like we did get a little bit of a lull, but yeah, and it goes down every year. It seems like, although I feel like it might have been shorter last year because of the Kyrie Irving stuff and the fallout with that in Cleveland seemed to last a little bit longer. But yeah, from when I started covering the league almost ten years ago now to this point. It just the off season is essentially shorter and shorter because of the news cycle. Like you don't feel like you ever really get a break from it, which is both you know good and bad. But it's just amazing how all this it's never fails. I know opening night is coming up, but this is the time when we should be talking about preseason performances, awards predictions, breakouts, division previews, and we're sitting here talking about Butler. Yeah, but how can we not? You got to talk about Jimmy Butler. Well, Jimmy Butler wants us to talk about Jimmy Butler, it seems like. <laughs> That's true. We're playing into Jimmy Butler's hands. But if if I, I know everyone else listening, it doesn't matter if you're ready or not, because I think Andy and I are ready to move on to the Central Division preview. What say you, Bales? Let's do it. Um, how do you want to do this? Worst to first from last year or just alphabet? Let's do alphabetical order. Let's do it that way. Which All would right. so start with the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls, who were also worst. So, oh, that works out quite nice. That's true. Last season, here are their vitals according to Cleaning the Glass. They were 27 and 55. They were 28th in offensive efficiency, 27th in defensive efficiency. Um, so, as we go back to our previous outlines that we've been using for these division previews, what was Chicago's best offseason move, Andy? I am looking up a number on him. Um, the, the answer for me is obvious. I'm just trying to get his uh, college basketball reference page pulled up. It's Wendell Carter Jr. Um, I suppose the splashiest move was probably Jabari Parker, but that move, in, it just increasingly looks bad the more he talks and the more we see him play <laughs> um, this preseason. So I, I think to me it's pretty clearly Wendell Carter. I think I had him – I don't remember – Exactly, but I, I'm pretty sure I had him as my third best prospect coming into this draft. You were high um, on him, I remember. I've recited this stat a few times, so you guys have probably all heard it already, but he has the sixth best uh, freshman box plus minus 
in uh, College Basketball References database. He's he can pass a little bit. He can block shots. He can shoot threes. I think he's he has the chance to be sort of the the prototypical modern five who has all kinds of different skills that we didn't used to associate with fives. Um, I think the sooner they can unload Robin Lopez or the sooner they explain to him that, Hey, we just, we need to go with the young guys, the better, because I I just want to see them play Lori Markinen and, uh, Wendell Carter together as much as they possibly can. I, <laughs> Jabari Parker, at least for one year kind of fouls that up, but, um, Simple answer here is is Wendell Carter Jr. for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't think the Jabari Parker signing might not look as bad in the interim just because now uh, you're talking about Lori Markinen is is going to miss a bunch of time. And so Parker should be able to spend more minutes at the power forward position. And we've talked about him as one of the just like one of the few just one position players uh, left in the league. But once marketing comes back, you do want to see more of him and Wendell Carter Jr. together, and it'll be complicated. If they're not starting Carter Jr. by that point, and they're still starting Lopez, and then you have Parker at the three, it just becomes really hard to get to those minutes then. But but I would pick Wendell Carter Jr. as well, mostly because they didn't do much after that. You can't you uh-huh. can't look at the Bulls and like Jabari Parker's fit, and nothing in the preseason has made us think otherwise. Um, again, preseason, grain of salt. We're talking about three games for Parker thus far, but he's shooting 24.3% from the field, 14.3% from three, already talking nonchalantly about defense again, which is just hysterical, I guess, unless you're a Bulls fan. So, and then matching Zach Levine's offer sheet, I don't, I'm not going to crucify that, but that's not a move that I think you celebrate at this point either. And to me, that just kind of makes, unless you're really high on Chandler Hutchison, I, I think that makes. Carter Jr., the obvious answer there. But let's just hope that they get to those minutes that you were talking about once Markinen's healthy, where we see both him and Wendell Carter Jr. in the front court. What was the biggest loss? I guess we touched upon this, or worst offseason move from the Bulls, or even something they should have done. Um, I'm, I'm looking over their 2018-19 roster. I'm, st- I'm, li- I'm not out on Jabari Parker. I just don't think it made a ton of sense for Chicago. Like you just said, it, it just, he doesn't fit this team. Um, they're not going to, I, I know some Bulls fans thought they might make the playoffs after they signed Jabari Parker. I don't really see it. And even if they do like sneakily get up to mid to high thirties, um, I just don't think they're trending toward anything with Parker. So I, to me, I just wanted to see as much Markin and, and Wendell Carter together as I possibly could. And I guess it's not a terrible move because they can get out of it after just one season. And I assume if things continue to go the way that they've started, it might just be a one year thing for Jabari Parker and the bulls. But, um, as I look over what was otherwise a fairly quiet off season, I I think you, you kind of have to pick between that and the Levine offer, I guess. Right. Well, for me, actually, I, I I think matching the Levine offer is defensible. This, excuse me, defensible. I wouldn't have done it, but I understand from the Bulls' perspective why they would. And then for all the stuff you just said about how Parker's kind of this short-term investment, they have the team option on him after this year. What stood out more to me is why didn't you go after a truer wing? You spent all this money on Levine, a swingman, and fine, but then you pay Jabari Parker – 
that's just weird. You had David Waba, and, and now he's gone. There were just other options out there, even if you didn't want to spend a ton of money because you still wanted to pay Jabari Parker. You know, Trevion Graham going to the to the Brooklyn Nets. Torrey Craig resigning with the Denver Nuggets. There were reports that said he took less money um, to stay in Denver. I just wonder why you didn't take more flyers if you're the Bulls on some wings. And it could have happened in, in tandem with signing Parker. So if they play Chandler Hutchinson a bunch of minutes, then maybe I'll soften on that. But to not target... Again, even a low-end wing, just a stab in the dark somewhere. That that really kind of blew my mind. What are your thoughts on Denzel Valentine? He's not a wing. He's he's an interesting, like... I mean, he's 6'6". Do you think he's a power forward? Do, do I think Valentine's... I think he's more of a swingman is what I'm based Like a guard. I wouldn't put him at the three oh, okay. or we'll call him a power forward uh, by any stretch. He's... I'm I'm talking more defensively, I guess, then too. And I look at Denzel Valentine, and maybe he can, you know, he's already a pretty good three-point shooter, and I could see him when you watch him play. He's someone you can envision hitting a higher percentage of his pull-up jumpers. But I, I like that defensive switchable wing. He's not going to match up to me against the stronger six-seven, six-foot-eight-inch um, threes. And the right now the Bulls don't really have anyone that's going to do that. Justin Holiday would probably be their best bet. And he kind of falls in the same camp as Valentine to me. Different player offensively, but he's more of a swingman. He's more of a just a shooting guard uh, yeah. than he is a wing. He'd be an undersized wing. And so not to go after someone who better fit that bill was just bizarre. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I'm just I'm just trying to think of what wings they have there that might now be forced to fill that void. And Valentine is someone who's still somewhat interesting to me. Definitely interesting. I just don't know what he's going to do for you defensively. Yeah. That would bring us to... Most likely breakout. Breakout player. Who do you have for them? Um, can you tell how well prepared I am this time? It's fine. The Jimmy Butler stuff threw you off kilter. I forgive you. <laughs> um, I'll let you pick Wendell Carter Jr. if it's a rookie. We allowed that. I think yeah, that was one of the things I was we thinking about Wendell Carter Jr., I I think he could be pretty solid. I feel like Zach Levine might have sort of a re-breakout, if that makes sense. Um, I'm going I'm to go with Wendell Carter Jr. I don't think he's going to average a ton of points or really contend for Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think by the time he starts getting serious minutes, um, Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton will probably have run away with the competition at that point. I think it's going to be like a two-horse race between those two. Um but I think we'll, I think people will be impressed by Wendell Carter's defense, not just the ability to protect the rim, but to be able to switch a little bit. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm just all for big guys who can pass. And I think he's got some passing ability that should be fairly impressive. So like you said, we've been allowing rookies for this particular category, and I'm going to go with the rookie here. I'm actually going to pick Denzel Valentine because dealing with a sprained ankle right now, but the Bulls are desperately going to need – some form of spacing. I know Parker has improved as a shooter. Levine's always kind of been an above average three point shooter, but you don't know what you're getting in the point guard department from your floor, uh, in terms of floor spacing. Uh, it, with Lori Markin out, do you trust Bobby Portis to continue hitting um, shots at, at a high level from distance or not continue to start? Excuse me. He's a, I think he's under 20% for the preseason. Never been a great three point shooter. Uh, someone like Valentine who you can count on to probably hit league average 
from three, if not better. He knocked down 39.4% of his pull-up threes last year. And if you can throw him into more of a catch-and-shoot role, if you're going to have Jabari Parker eventually marking in, Levine, and then Dunn and Payne kind of dominate the ball, he was 39% on his catch-and-shoot threes last year. I don't know how high a quality of looks he would get, but just to have someone that you can trust to knock down that wide-open shot, to be automatic from three, right now you'd probably pick who who would be the players on this roster outside from Valentine, who, by the way, shot 42.4% on wide-open threes last year, but who's the guy you trust to just knock down that open three? Levine, probably. You could possibly throw Markinen in there. I don't know that I would put Parker in that category just yet, especially after what we've seen in the preseason. And so I could see Valentine playing a big role for this team. I have not been evicted from Cameron Payne Island just yet either. <laughs> I still believe in him. Um, yeah, you're not alone there. I'm, I, I like the Denzel Valentine pick. I think he could be a solid player for them this season. Player most likely to be traded. Ooh, was this a recent addition? I don't remember this one the last time. Uh, um, they've definitely been in there. <laughs> <laughs> Jabari Parker? Really? I mean, he's on like a pseudo-expiring contract. Um, no, it's got to be Robin Lopez, right? I mean, they've already talked about trading Robin Lopez, and I think they uh, they should want to open up minutes for um, – Wendell Carter Jr. I'm looking at Robin Lopez, Lopez's birth date, and it's depressing that I'm older than him. Oh, wow. <laughs> he seems like he's been in the NBA forever. Um, anyway, it's got to be Rob, Robin Lopez, right? I just – who wants a big man making $14.4 yeah, million? That's a good question. The, and if the Bulls are actually going to fancy themselves a rebuilding team and they're willing to take back a bad contract, then Robin Lopez would be spectacular. They could maybe get a first-round pick if you send him out for someone on a long-term deal. I My actual pick would probably be Justin Holiday. It's going to be a situation where the Bulls realize they're tanking. He's on that expiring contract. A guy who can step in, defend some of the smaller wings, um, and survive to tell the tale for the most part. Maybe shoot 35-36% from three. Maybe 36-37% in a better system. The Knicks, I remember, experimented with him as kind of the secondary ball handler. He's gotten minimal chance to do that in Chicago. It just for his contract, it just seems like good value at midseason, and maybe some team comes calling. I don't know what you would get for him though. Is it a young player that uh, a postseason squad is just completely given up on? Perhaps something along those lines. This next one, I think, is fairly easy. Better defense or offense for this team? Um, it should be fairly easy. The defenses look horrendous this preseason they have they have a couple guys that are going to play a lot of minutes that are notoriously bad defenders in Jabari Parker and Zach Levine so I'll, I'll say defense but Ooh, I don't think they, <laughs> I don't think they're particularly loaded <laughs> either I mean Jabari Parker and Zach Levine have reputations as good offensive players and I think Zach Levine has had some stretches where he was a, a pretty efficient scorer but I'm not I'm not sure you get the most efficient offense if if that's your one and two. Um, I think Markkinen's a good offensive player too, and once he comes back, that'll probably help him. Um, but as you go up and down this roster, it, it's tough to see a great offense there too. And so maybe I'm saying defense will be worse just in the sense that it could be the worst defense. 
and maybe they'll be around like 20th to 25th in offense. Yeah, and that that's just kind of my thing. I, I understand what you're saying offensively, but if the Bulls have better than a bottom five defense, Fred Hoiberg has worked a miracle. <laughs> that's probably true, yeah. And it's I don't want to under – and we haven't talked about him in part because he's one of the – I think one of the least controversial players on the roster in, in marketing just because we know he's good. Also, he's dealing with that uh, injury right now, which is going to keep him out for a while. But he was – he was just fantastic for points last season. I know he hit a wall at some point, but he kind of perked back up um, towards the end of the year again. When you look at his last 15 games, a 47.3% shooting, 42.7% from three-point range on five attempts per game, 6.7 rebounds. That was something that stood out to me. Uh, he was a much better rebounder than I thought he was going to be at this level. 16.5 points per game over that stretch, too. He's someone I could envision kind of saving their offense if if all goes to hell with the Parker experiment or if they're struggling to involve Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, as, a, as a rookie or maybe if they're just not getting any play, enough playmaking out of the point guard position. He's someone that I could envision taking on an even bigger role where he's working a lot more off the dribble, maybe setting up his teammates more. I said one of the few takes I had when he was coming um, into the NBA was that I thought he was a much better passer than his assist totals actually showed. And I still do believe that. So once he comes back, I think that you can comfortably say the offense will be much better than the defense. He was, he was just, he wasn't just better offensively than I thought he'd be. He was just better all around than I thought he would be. Um, did you happen to see that basketball reference has 2018, 19 projections on their player pages now? Yeah. And Donovan Mitchell's looks scarily like a prime Derek Rose projection. Just saying <laughs> Um, let's hope let's knock on wood that he avoids part of that trajectory, but Lori Markinen, they've got projected to average 18.7 points, 9.1 rebounds, um, just under a block per 36 minutes and shoot 38% from three. If, if he reaches those numbers, um, yeah, that's a heck of a season for him. And that would be quite the buoy for their offense. Playoffs or nah for the Bulls, as I giggle. Uh, I'm going to go with nah on this one. Although the East, no, don't. Gonna... Please don't. <laughs> don't go, no. Eighth, ninth, tenth will probably be like high 30s. So maybe if they're low 30s, maybe there'll be a week in the middle of February where people get their hopes up. But I'm going to say no. I'm with you there. What is their ceiling then? If like, how, how many games could you see them getting to in the most ideal scenario? Uh... I'm going to say 35. That is ambitious. I was going to say that's that'd be a very very good season for them, I think. If they clear 30 as their season, I don't think they're going to get past 30. I What's been last year again? You 27, so I guess there's a 5 win improvement that big of a I 35 might be fair in the East. I just if they reach 35 as their ceiling, I'll be legitimately surprised. I'm sticking with it. All right, on to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who lost LeBron James over the offseason. I don't know if anybody heard that. <laughs> Their vitals from last season, which are pretty irrelevant now, 15-32, fifth in offensive efficiency, 29th in defensive efficiency, all according to Cleaning the Glass. Their point differential, by the way, was plus 0. 0.7, which ranked 15th. Um, so what? <laughs> this just feels so... Stupid to ask. What was their best offseason move? I was going to ask you, 
Should we be able to extend this back to the trade that they made in February? Well, I actually have an off-season pick. David Waba, getting him to me was actually a savvy move. And I, I couldn't believe that he was on the free agent market as long as he was. He, I know he's only, I think he's listed at 6'4", but he defends like he's 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, and I don't know what his shooting, he has a seven-foot wingspan. I don't know what his shooting is going to look like in Cleveland when they don't really have a premier table setter. But he shot almost 35% from three last year in 70 appearances with Chicago. Came on just 1.1 attempts per 36 minutes. But if you can just kind of get him to, to hit some threes at close to league average on relatively, let's say, fair weather volume, uh, he's an asset just because I think he's the real deal on defense. And to have someone, again, he's undersized, but you can throw him on, on a lot of twos and threes and he's going to come out, maybe not on top of those matchups, but you're not going to get absolutely burned. So I, I think here's where I stand on this. He's someone that the, the Cavaliers really could have used last year. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Um, what do you think about Colin Sexton? I am not a fan. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't really see it either. He, he seems like he could end up being like a high volume, low moving the ball type of a guard. And I, that just doesn't appeal to me all that much. If I, if I was allowed to extend it back to the trade, I would say Larry Nance. Um, and maybe he's more, I mean, certainly seems like he should be used more this season than he was in the last few months of last season. Um, the Cavs outscored opponents by 5.1 points per hundred possessions. When he was on the floor last year, which was about two and a half points better than when he was off, I, I think him at center and Love at, at the four is an interesting front court combination to me. I certainly like it more than Love and Tristan Thompson. Um, I just think Nance is a lot more mobile than Thompson is away from the basket. So if I can cheat, I'll say Larry Nance. But if we're just going to restrict it to this summer, I think I'll probably agree with you and go with Nawaba. Well, we are going to restrict it to this summer, so I'm tired of you <laughs> cheating all the time. Colin Sexton, by the way, according to Hoop Math, 36.4% on two-point jumpers at Alabama last year. So should be fun times in Cleveland this yeah. season. Biggest loss or worst offseason move or something they should have done? We don't need to get into this. They lost LeBron James. And there's, I would say there's an element of relief there because we've been talking about him leaving again for so long. But the Cavaliers didn't free themselves up to rebuild, apparently, because they went and then extended Kevin Love, which yeah. infers that they're going to try and chase an eighth-seeded playoff berth in the East. And I don't even I don't think we'll get to that, but I'm not sure that they're even good enough to, to reach that type of apex. But losing LeBron James, even so, would have just been a... You don't come back from that move. It's yeah. just even the potential benefit of it seems like it kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah, if we were, <laughs> yeah, obviously, obviously, the biggest loss is LeBron James. Um, after that, I didn't, I didn't really understand the Kevin Love extension either. I think they, I think they should have blown the whole thing up, uh, or at least done as much as they could to start over when they realized LeBron was gone. Um, I think their ceiling, and, and we'll get into this more later, so maybe I'll just save that, but. Um, yeah, the obvious answer is LeBron James, and I think you can sort of say in concert, um, 
the Kevin Love extension. Well, you know, it's Kevin Love's a great player and he's probably worth the money he's going to be paid. I just don't think Cleveland should have been the team to to show it out right now. I don't think it if he has a good year, I don't maybe it helps up his trade value once he's eligible to be It moved. could be like the Griffin thing last year, maybe he gets a ton of money and then they just trade him a few months later, so who knows. There there might be teams in certain markets that just value that type of security. It's just weird because Kevin Love isn't the face-up playmaker that Blake Griffin is. And there will be stuff that that he can do out of the post. He'll be a facsimile of an offensive hub. But the league has changed so much since he was the primary option in Minnesota. And even then, he was getting fed from Ricky Rubio. He's not going to pull up in transition a bunch of times. He's not going to attack off the dribble and, and fire bullets to the corners and... I think they could use him as like a high post setup guy, kind of like Jokic, though. And I don't, I don't know how creative they'll be with him, but I, I think there's a chance that some of his playmaking from that last season in Minnesota comes back. That that absolutely is fair. I'm um, just from the offensive perspective, Jokic is a better passer. Oh yeah. I don't know that Kevin Love is ever going to be leading fast breaks. He'll probably be throwing touchdown passes to nobody at yeah. points. <laughs> and so Jokic can do that. I I just have a trouble seeing Kevin Love jump starting the offense from a face up position in the half court and that he could still be a really good player but my point is that four year extension then doesn't necessarily make him that much more valuable if it makes him more valuable at all because the league has changed so much that Blake Griffin in in some eyes is kind of just this archaic model because he doesn't shoot well enough from 3 and Love yeah. is a better shooter from 3 but He's not someone who can create his own space, really, in my mind. And maybe he'll add that element, or maybe we'll just see it this year. But when you don't, when you have Colin Sexton and George Hill as your point guards, you're going to be relying on Rodney Hood to do some primary ball handling, Jordan Clarkson as well. I'm just wondering if some of the benefit of having a player like him is going to be neutralized. I'll just throw it out there before we move on to the next topic, but I think he still makes sense in Utah. I'd be very interested to see that. I, I actually prefer the look of Utah when they go small, though. What would be interesting in Utah is I think you could put him at center, too, for short spurts when Rudy Gobert's on the bench. And they kind of have the, when you look at Crowder, Cephalosha, Exum, Ingles, they, they kind of have that, even Mitchell, the perimeter talent to not be terrible defensively in those situations. And then all of a sudden you open up these five-out combinations. Yep. Could be very, very interesting. Biggest, oh, excuse me, most likely break breakout player for this team. Um, I'm torn between Jetty Osman and I still have not given up on Rodney Hood. Um, I still feel like there's a decent or, or the potential for a decent scorer in there somewhere. I, he still averaged, I think, close to 19 or 20 points per 36 minutes last season. Um, Boy, he went through a rough few months, including the refusing to go back in in that playoff game, and then he was a free agent for far longer than I think he could have expected. Um, I mean, just a year and a couple months ago, right after the Gordon Hayward trade, Dennis Lindsay told a bunch of reporters, we we have our number one scorer, Rodney Hood. Uh, And it was all just downhill from there for him, so... Now I think he has a chance with LeBron gone to get plenty of shots. Um, I think there's a chance he's maybe even the number two scoring option after Kevin Love. So it could be interesting to see him 
in that role. I think there's a possible breakout there. But like I said, I'm torn. I, I, I like what Jetty Osmond brings, too. He's a ton of energy. And he does more ancillary stuff than Rodney Hood does. Um, I think he's a better playmaker. He's a better rebounder. I think he works a little bit harder on defense. So I'm kind of torn between those two guys. If you're going to make me pick one, um, I'm going to go with Osmond. I would go with Osmond too. And part of that is just with Hood, I don't, is he going to be the number two? Is there going to be a clear cut number two? Because you look at how much are they going to play Sexton? Jordan Clarkson's going to eat through a bunch of touches. That's true. Yeah. So there, there might be, there should be more opportunity for him to work in what seems to be his comfort zone. He was one of those players, him and Alec Burks in Utah seemed to be the, the guys who most deviated from Quinn Snyder's offense and looked like they'd be, more comfortable outside it at points. And so if you give him some freedom to work off the dribble, maybe that scoring instinct returns, but I just like Osmond's hustle. The Cavaliers are short on wings. Uh, even after adding Nwaba, I, I guess the kind of the swing argument here though, is how much are they going to play the younger guys? And maybe that's a benefit to hood because if Osmond's going to have a quick hook and you're not going to give him a bunch of minutes as the starting three or play him at the four, his impact will be limited, but I like what he could probably do is just this complimentary offensive weapon. I think his defensive ceiling is a lot higher than most people would give him credit for. Maybe that's just because he hasn't played a ton in the NBA, but he hustles on the perimeter and he'll try and contest jump shots. And that team needed said energy last year. And it's, it certainly needs it now. And they have more leeway to, to play him extended, extended minutes than they did last year. The yeah. options, the pickings are slim in Cleveland, though. I will say that. Player most likely to be traded. I'm going to go with Kevin Love, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Um, I think there is a small chance for for a Blake Griffin type of a trade here. And you mentioned this earlier. Some smaller market teams might be willing to go for a, a contract like Kevin Love's because – you just don't get a lot of uh, nibbles in free agency, uh, depending on which organization you are. So if you can get a really good player locked up for three or four years um, through a trade, it, it makes sense for certain teams to do that. And if it's if it's pretty clear in the first couple of months that Cleveland is not going to compete for the playoffs, um, then they should probably start pivoting into a rebuild. I could definitely see that happening. I my pick would be George Hill though, just because the money he makes is great matching for a bad contract. If the Cavaliers do decide to rebuild and they'll really need to restock their draft cupboard, his one million guarantee for next year is would be huge for a team that's looking to kind of create cap space for a free agency. And to, to me, you at that point you want you're more concerned with getting Colin Sexton run. Uh, Hill becomes instantly expendable. I would also throw Corver there ahead of Love as well. If the Cavaliers decide to rebuild, his partial guarantee for next year, that could help a team save money. But more importantly, he's a three-point shooter uh, who can help a contender. And so if the Cavs are out of it closer to the trade deadline or right around the new year or something, he's someone that I would think would probably generate even more inquiries than Kevin Love or even George Hill. And he seems like a guy who can uh... – run around and hit threes till he's 45. He, he doesn't look any different now than he did five years ago, it seems like. No, he doesn't. There's He's getting beat more defensively, but he still tries there. I, watching him defensively makes me sad because he tries so hard and it's just not enough. It's like uh, me when I played defense. 
you I've heard from your coaches that you never played defense. <laughs> you were always interested in the next photo op of you dunking above the rim. I need to know which coach this was because we're going to have words. Um, I will not divulge my sources who do not exist. <laughs> Moving on. Better defense or offense for the Cavs? Uh, I'll say offense. Seems this is like actually the- hard but it, to me, but it probably shouldn't be. It's, you have Kevin Love. I mean, and you're looking at yeah, who Kevin Love, Kyle Korver, uh, Rodney Hood's an all-offense player. Jordan Clarkson's an all-offense player. Yeah, this actually isn't hard. I don't know why, why I kind of fainted. Who Larry Nance and George Hill will get a lot of minutes, and they're pretty good defenders, but I, I think it's probably offense. Well, George Hill used to be a good defender. That's true. <laughs> That's going to come into my ceiling question. The, where does Tristan Thompson fit into that, too? Just because... I don't understand where he fits... Um, and no one's trading for him. I wouldn't want that the final two years of his deal. No. And I remember a lot of Cavaliers uh, fans and writers defended that contract viciously when it came out. It would be interesting to see how they all feel about it at this point. Yeah. Uh, you could probably – no deal is immovable, but I'm not sure which team is going to pay Tristan Thompson $36 million over the next two years. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be on the hook for that. He might be their best or second best defender, depending on how you feel about Nance. And I'd probably put Nance ahead of him just because he seems switchier. Yeah, I think he's definitely switchier. Who are their plus defenders? If you had a pick, I'd go Nance, maybe Thompson, and I, I, I'll make a case for Nwaba. I'll throw George Hill in there too. I, I think if he's are you like preemptively recruiting him back to Utah? <laughs> Um, I think, I think his time in Sacramento understandably cratered his value, but I think if you get motivated, George Hill, he's still a solid team defender at least. All right. That's fair. <laughs> Playoffs or not. Nah. Okay. I'm going to say the Cavaliers I'm probably s- want this to be an interesting question, but I really don't think it is. Yeah. I think it's a no, but I don't think it's a no brainer that it's a no. They, I actually need, th- they need the injury bug to hit some of like the other fringe teams. Well, the, yeah, that would certainly help. But if they get... I don't think Kevin Love can get back to 2013-14 Kevin Love. But if he's like 75% of that player, and George Hill is 75% of the player he was that season in Utah, and, and Corver is what he is, and maybe Larry Nance takes a step forward, and... Rodney Hood takes a step forward. There's a lot of things that have to happen. But I, I honestly would not be shocked if this team was in the playoffs. I, I'm, I'm going to stick with no, but I just it wouldn't surprise me all that much if they were. Well, I guess that makes my next question null and void. I was going to ask you, who wins more games this year, the Nets or the Cavaliers? Well, I don't know if that's a null and void question. I, I, I might be able to put the Nets in the same, um, same sort of area. A team that I don't think will make the playoffs, but it wouldn't shock me if they did. And I could, I feel like I, I might be able to say that about almost every team in the East. I, who, who can we definitively rule out in the Eastern Conference? Hawks. The Magic. The Knicks. A lot of people think the Magic could make a run. I don't, I don't see it at all. I agree with the Knicks and the Hawks. Um, the Hawks are an obvious one. I, I think that might be the only three teams that I can say with I'm throwing the Bulls in there. I don't see that, but you have them at like 55 wins or something as their ceiling. But 
Um, yeah, I'd probably include the Bulls too. That that thirty-five win ceiling in the East. Who knows? Maybe the eighth seed has like thirty-seven wins. But I still, I still would be a little bit surprised if they made it. That brings us to the Detroit Pistons, who here are their vitals according to Clean the Glass. They were thirty-nine and forty-three last year. They ranked nineteenth in offensive efficiency, thirteenth in defensive efficiency, and their point differential. Minus point three, ranked nineteenth in the league. What was their best offseason move, Andy? I kind of like Glenn Robinson the third. Um, they didn't have a lot. They had get they picked up Calderon, Glenn Robinson, and Zaza. Basically, that was their offseason. And they didn't have a ton of wiggle room going into the offseason. Um, so I think of everything. <laughs> you just laid out that very impressive hit list, Calderon, Glenn Robinson, and, and Zaza Pachulia. Robinson's, he'll turn 25 uh, this season. He's got a career three-point percentage of 38. He was at 41 last year, although he only played in 23 games. Um, but I think we can rely on a 38% career clip as someone who's at least a decent shooter. Um He's only taken 200 attempts in his career too. As I look at this, that's what so, I was actually going to point out. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of room for that to go either direction. But the reason I don't mind the Glenn Robinson deal is because I'm I'm pretty intrigued by the Blake Griffin Andre Drummond pairing. But I think for that to work, you have to have three other shooters on the floor, and Detroit doesn't have a ton of shooting. If you look at this roster, you don't um, say. <laughs> I would love to see lots and lots of four or five pick and rolls with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond flanked by Luke Kennard, Reggie Bullock. And I, I think those are your two sure fire shooters. And then you're kind of looking, scraping the bottom of the barrel for the third one. And it might be Glenn Robinson. Um, I, but that, that's probably my favorite lineup for this team right now is those two running a pick and roll and those three, two shooters and, and the third possible shooter flanking them. Yeah, I don't even think it's a question what their best move of the offseason was. It's it's like a cheapo deal. He has the – was it a pl- – I think he got a player option for, for next year. Or was it was it a team? If it's a team option, that makes it even better than it's a whatever one-year flyer. I don't know why I'm blanking. They just got him – on basketball reference, they just have it as oh, two gear. Oh, it's a team yeah. option. So that's even better. You're taking a, a one-year flyer if it doesn't work out. I don't – and I don't know that there's another candidate there. Um, to me, what was their worst off-season move? Um, or biggest loss, or something they should have done. You take this one first. I don't think you can single out a move as bad just because they didn't have cap room to begin with, and yeah, that leads yeah, to a, like a more complex discussion. And it bodes; it's the same thing for biggest loss. They didn't lose anyone of consequence. There probably should have been, unless they're sure, but there probably should have been more of an effort to to trade someone to to give this team a different look. And I know Reggie Jackson is kind of the name that people immediately go to, but no one wants to pay him $35.1 million over the next two years. You're not going to sweeten the assets to get rid of John Moore's deal. I'm wondering if they should have uh, more aggressively shopped Stanley Johnson, someone who's extension eligible, if you think that you could get him at a good price point, 
His cap hold is going to be $11.8 million this year. As of right now, I would not pay him that. If you think you can get him on a fair three- or four-year deal and an extension, I kind of understand it. But he he's someone who's going to threaten the livelihood of that Blake Griffin-Andre Drummond pairing because of his spacing. He's yet, we've talked every summer, it seems like, you know how it's been for years, we've kind of talked about uh, Norman Powell breaking out. It seemed that way for years with uh, Stanley Johnson's jump shot. And we just, we haven't seen it just yet. There have been hints of, hey, he can run and jumpstart the pick and roll. But on the flip side, how much does that really mean if he's not going to be just this viable threat from deep? And if Blake Griffin is hitting threes off the dribble, it probably wouldn't matter as much if you can count on Reggie Jackson to kind of return to uh, his, to the efficiency that he displayed when he first came over to the Pistons. Perhaps it's not that big of a deal, but I could see things really just sort of going sideways for, for that uh three-man pairing if you put if you have Blake Griffin and Drummond you talk about just how delicate spacing is and and Johnson kind of has the uh ability to almost torpedo it okay I have an answer for this question now actually now that I've thought about it for a second their their worst off-season move to me was hiring an advisor instead of a general manager and and just sort of as to broaden this out a little bit the way that they handled the reorganization of the front office and the coaching staff in general was just really odd to me. Um, letting go of Stan Van Gundy seemed like it was kind of inevitable. Um, it had sort of reached a, a point of no return, I think. Um, but then they bring in this guy, Ed Stefanski, to be an advisor and to help them hire a general manager. Um, then they hire a coach. Then they hire an assistant GM. They never ended up hiring a general manager. And I talked to uh, an executive at the Utah Jazz Summer League about this, and he just laughed and said, yeah, they should have seen that coming when we were talking about the fact that they hired um, an advisor. I said something like, so is Stefanski just going to install himself? And, and the guy kind of chuckled and said, yeah, we should have seen that coming. Um, so I, I think the, the way that they approached – that whole um, reorganization was just really odd. I've I've never seen it done that way in the the about ten years I've been following the NBA really closely as a as a job. <laughs> yeah, that's a good pick. That would the, again, there really wasn't much to hate about the Pistons offseason uh, aside from that, and even that is kind of whatever. It hasn't led to any detrimental decisions just yet. They were just no. kind of given the hand. This is their roster, and they have to move forward with it because that's the decision they made basically when they acquired Blake Griffin. That this was that they were going to have to give this at least another year, and it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. But we'll get to that as we move on to these other topics. Who's their most likely breakout player? Hmm, Luke Kennard. I, I, I'm going to go with step. I'm not even going to have to add any analysis. I'm just going to let you handle nice. it. He, I think he was underused last season. Uh, Stan Van Gundy is one of those coaches who's still uh, pretty rigid about young guys have to earn their minutes instead of throwing them into the fire and letting them develop that way. I, I think he could have helped them last year. Um, he did play in 73 games, so he appeared in almost every one and averaged 20 minutes a game. So he did get a decent amount of time. Um, but the thing to really like about Luke Kennard he took over 40% of his shots 
as threes, and he shot 41.5% from three. I, I think, again, I'm repeating myself now, but if you're going to play lots and lots of minutes with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond on the floor, you have to have all your shooting out there, uh, or as much shooting as you can possibly provide those two. And him and Reggie Bullock are both really, really good. So whoever the fifth guy is, I don't know. But that's I think you have to start from those four. Drummond, Griffin, Kennard, and uh, Bullock. And if if they get the chemistry down with that 4-5 pick and roll, hopefully they're they're planning to do that. I, I, I keep mentioning that. I don't even know if they're going to do it. Um, if they figure that out, Kennard should have plenty of open looks uh, on the wing or in the corners from three. Kennard played 95 minutes last year with Griffin and Drummond on the floor. Detroit was a plus 6.1 points per 100 possessions. Offensive rating was just 104.5. Kennard was better defensively than I thought, but the sample is so small that maybe it really just doesn't matter. I thought he'd have he'd struggle more with staying in front of people, and he was kind of quicker to close out than I thought he'd be. Uh, the interesting trio, when I looked up numbers before, that popped up with the Pistons, they were just went supernova offensively when Ish Smith, Blake Griffin, and Luke Kennard played together. 17 games, 137 minutes, offensive rating of 101.3, defensive rating 99.3, net rating plus 12 per 100 possessions. And that that three-man combination when they were on the floor, the Pistons shot 45% almost from beyond the arc. About 100 attempts, so it's nothing crazy, but that might be something to kind of explore. Maybe you can plug, maybe you can envision where it's you plug Reggie Jackson with Kennard, Griffin, Drummond, and... Bullock and maybe that's your lineup you can envision that carving out enough spacing because Jackson and Smith should kind of have similar ball handling styles and what will also be big for the the Pistons kind of veering off topic if if Reggie Jackson's first step is back because he just looks slow when he played last season and that could be huge for them because Griffin is at a point in his career we could kind of trust him as a spot-up option and Drummond thinks he's shooting threes now and so if you even just drag both those guys outside the paint for aesthetics, that might just give Jackson some room to drive and maybe just open things up for Kennard and, and Bullock. Yeah, I dig all that. Player most likely to be traded. Um, I'm I'm thinking Stanley Johnson and maybe like a Rodney Hood type of a trade. Obviously, they're not similar players. I'm just saying a guy who's going into the last year of his rookie contract and maybe the team thinks we don't want to be the team to give him, give him his next deal. And uh, let's resolve this in January or February. I don't think they have a ton of really movable deals other than that. Ish Smith is on a $6 million expiring contract. So maybe he's one to keep an eye on. Um, Reggie Bullock's on a really cheap expiring contract, but I, you don't want to trade away one of the only shooters you have. I don't think, um, I can't imagine anybody wanting to take on Reggie Jackson for almost 37, 36, 37 million over the next two seasons. No. Um, no. So I think just because there aren't a lot of real tradable deals, uh, the only one that's really sort of standing out to me is Stanley Johnson. He's a good pick. I think if Smith works as well, uh, just because you look at just some of the point guard situations around the league and what if Phoenix decides to bite or if San Antonio wants kind of a temporary replacement so maybe it's that type of situation if he could shoot more threes or get on a team with more spacing he hit a higher he attempted the same number of catch and shoot threes as pull-up threes per game last year and he shot a higher percentage on pull-up threes 
by more than three percentage points. That that's oh. just one of those statistical anomalies that always kind of got to me. But I would think it'd be him. J- Johnson's a good pick as well. If I wanted to be super trolly. There's probably some interesting packages you could build if if the Wizards just decide to cut bait with John Wall and that contract, which is terrible, and the Pistons decided to go like full bore. We're, we're, whatever our payroll sucks now. You build some packages around Reggie Jackson, um, and you could bring back John Wall. That might be a team that's willing to trade for Reggie Jackson. That would be wild. Uh, that's going to make people mad, though. And I'm mostly just kidding. Uh, <laughs> better defense or offense for this team? Um. I will say offense just because I think, like we've said a few times now, uh, now I don't know, I don't know how many minutes they're going to get with great shooting on the floor. Um, they're not really loaded with defenders either. Stanley Johnson is a good defensive player. Uh, I think Drummond got a lot better defensively last season. I think he's a more reliable anchor. Um, he's so overrated as a rim protector still. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like he got a little bit better on that end last year, though. Or maybe, he seems maybe. more the, – the thing that stood out to me as the season progresses, I, I would probably trust him more kind of jumping out to the perimeter than I ever would have before. I'm not saying he's going to hang with point guards and switches, but he seems more willing and quicker to react in those types of situations, which is impressive for a big man with his size and girth. Where were they um, – talk about your pick. I'm going to see – what their offense and defense were like after the Blake Griffin trade. I actually have those numbers pulled up if you would like oh, to know good. them. Yeah, let's hear that. So after the Blake Griffin trade, their offense ranked 20th in points scored per 100 possessions at 107.7. Their defense was 11th at 107 points allowed per 100 possessions. I would still pick That's offense, though, just because I, a lot of it is contingent upon their spacing. But if you're going to look at this team, if they're – if their offense isn't good, some of the symptoms are going to extend to the defensive end. If they're not good on offense, it's probably because Reggie Jackson isn't himself, and he's not going to help you on the defensive end then if he doesn't have any sort of burst. Um, you don't really have a lockdown defensive wing. Stanley Johnson, you can trust him on that end of the floor, but Bullock and Kennard, neither of them are really these true stoppers. I don't know what Glenn Robinson the third is going to be. How much defensive range does he have? He still kind of feels like he might be in the Justin Holiday department there I, I think it has to be offense and and that sounds stupid because we just spent a few minutes questioning a lot about their floor balance dynamics I would still be no I wouldn't be shocked but I would definitely be taken aback if their defense was better than their offense you'd be taken aback I would is that okay <laughs> with you I want I was yeah. looking for something that wasn't as strong of a stance I like it uh oh go ahead yeah i wouldn't be like i don't feel strongly one way or another on that question at least not with this team i I will say if their defense is better than their offense they have a problem because that i I (laughs) doubt their defense is going to be so elite that they have a top 12 offense and the defense is better that's a good point playoffs or not have we done playoff picks on this podcast yet we have do you remember what I said about the Pistons? I'm trying to remember. I uh, I will act. I actually do remember what you said about the Pistons, but I want to see if you can guess. Okay, I'm going to say no. Okay, you said yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! I must have had them at like seventh or eighth. You had them at eighth with me. I'm not sure which changed either about that. I would. I'm still going to say. 
You know what? He, I'll just say they're a fringe team. They're they're on the bubble. You, I, right. I but we I need we need a definitive answer a definitive <laughs> answer from the two of us. All right. I, All right. I'm going to default to what I said before. I'm going to keep them at eight. I'm going to say no now. Here's the reason. Oh, interesting. If you I'm just watching Charlotte, and it's funny because I wrote a piece about weaknesses for every team this season, potential weaknesses, and Charlotte's roster was built like it was incapable of playing small. Almost as if they didn't want to play small when you looked at the bigs they had on their roster. They've come out with all these switchy and smaller lineups in the preseason. And if they get even a taste of success, they're not going to trade Kemba Walker. And that eighth spot to me, if you told me the Cavs took it or the Nets took it, it wouldn't surprise me. But I feel like it's going to be the Pistons and the Hornets that are battling for it. As of right this moment, I think that it would go to the Hornets. That will change, of course, if they trade Kemba Walker. But again, if they're in the playoff hunt, it would be kind of surprising to see them move him. He would have to ask for out, and I don't see him doing that. He does appear to really like Charlotte. More than that, though, he's this guy coming off what turned out to be one of the biggest steals of an extension in recent memories, a recent memory, four years, $48 million. Having his bird rights is going to mean a lot to not only the Hornets, but to him. Because if they're willing to give him that fifth year, if he's willing to just get higher annual raises, he hasn't really gotten that massive windfall just yet. And the Hornets are perfectly positioned to give it to him. And if he's going to stay there the entire season, with the way that they've played, uh, with James Borrego coaching the way he has, I I think that they would be the team to get get the eighth spot. Do you have our playoff predictions pulled up? Yes, I do. Where did I have the Hornets? Ninth, like me. I'm I'm flopping. I'm flip flopping them right now. Yeah, and I think you might have convinced me. Um, it's, it's so I was so high on the Hornets last year, and they burned me. And maybe I was just feeling upset about that. Yeah, it's a little it's a little freaky just because the Hornets could go the other way very quickly if they trade Kemba Walker. And I'm not ready to rule it out. I just don't think if they're going to even be in the playoff picture, I don't think they will move him. Yeah, I wouldn't think so either. I hope the Nets get the eighth seed now and make us look like a bunch of jackasses. To be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, there's there will certainly be some team that we... And FYI, Mr. The Bulls might see. win 65 games this year. You had them 13th oh, in the East. Up. <laughs> That's what you get for your Bulls, opt- <laughs> Bulls optimism. <laughs> um, what do you think the best case scenario for the Pistons is? It's obviously making the playoffs, but how many wins could you see them getting to? Um... They're getting knocked out in the first round. Yeah, I would say first round exit and mid forties wins. Yeah, I I think that that's definitely fair. After them, can you guess who that brings us to? This division's fun because you get through less than the half of the alphabet before it's it's basically finished. The The, uh, Indiana Pacers. Yes, uh, a team that's I think really hard to predict, but Pacers fans tell me otherwise on Twitter. Anyway. Uh, vitals per clean the glass. They were 48 and 34 last year. I don't even think we picked the inverse of that record for them last year. I'm glad we kept receipts this season, but I think both of us had the Pacers pretty comfortably under 35 wins. Uh, they were 13. I was like cautiously optimistic about the Pacers. You don't remember this? I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you down with me unless you show me the receipts. So can't do that. You need to pull up last year's season preview with Grant Apseth. Uh, no, I'm just going to pretend that you were as wrong as I was. Uh, 48-34, and 13th in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency, 12th in point differential, plus 1.9. What was their best offseason move, Andy? Trying to find a receipt. 
right now. Um, on <laughs> but that, their best offseason move, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer for this team. I, I, really could, I like, thought you were going to think about it for a second, and I was getting worried. <laughs> well, there, there's actually a second deal that I think is sneakily good. I just don't know how much he can play. Um, Tyreek Evans is the obvious answer to me, but I think Kyle O'Quinn is a really, really good player. Another passing big man. The thing with him is they already have Miles Turner, Demonis Sabonis, Thad Young. I just don't think there's a ton of minutes to go around for Kyle O'Quinn. If he's playing the Al Jefferson role, then it's just going to be spot minutes um, at best. So still, it's it's a pretty easy answer, Tyreek Evans. I, I like his fit here. I want to see... Um, I want to see a lot of minutes with him and Victor Oladipo on the floor together. Just, you know, that extra playmaking. But um, I, I think they quietly, not maybe not even quietly, I think they had a really good offseason. I, I think Doug McDermott is still, um, obviously the advanced numbers don't love him, but I'm curious to see what he looks like on this team as well. But uh, anyway, back to the, the original point, it's Tyreek Evans. Oh, I think it's pretty clearly Tyreek Evans as well. Uh, the interesting, just having that second off the dribble playmaker now beside Victor Oladipo, and yes, you have Darren Collison and Corey Joseph to begin with, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, but Evans just kicked it into kind of a different gear. He's better at scoring off the dribble uh, than a Darren Collison or a Corey Joseph. He's a better passer than Collison and, and Bogdanovich. This was an interesting stat to me. So among every player to attempt at least four shots after using between three and six dribbles last year, Tyreek Evans ranked second in effective field goal percentage. The only player in front of him was LeBron James. He has become just like a legit good shooter. And I don't think very many people know that he, you can officially just call him a three point shooter now, which is a big, which is a really big deal. And you know, some of those shot, like he took pull, he shot better. I think I don't have that number pulled up, but he shot better than, uh, 40% on pull-up threes last year, or right around that number. And so uh, he, he was in pretty elite company there. That's just, he's going to do well for this offense. You probably want him to not waste as much time dribbling because Memphis gave him some freedom that he shouldn't necessarily have in um, Indiana. But you, you have to love the deal. It's one year, and that's the Pacers offseason in a nutshell, is they didn't double down necessarily on last year's 48 win performance they leaned into it because they didn't sign these guys to long-term deals if you end up missing on the you know you bring everyone back that was on the non-guaranteed contract you sign Evans another one-year contract Uh, you sign McDermott for three years but that deal's low enough to where if it's really a bust you're one not going to know until after the season and then after that there's only two years left on it so they had a pretty quality offseason with that being said what was their worst offseason move their biggest offseason loss or something you would have liked to have seen them do that they didn't. First, I got to point out that on October 6th, 2017, yours truly tweeted, good morning. I think the Pacers might make the playoffs in the dreadful Eastern conference. Wait, what, what was the date on that? October 6th, 2017 before the season started. I don't believe that exists, but (laughs) Um, there's some pretty fun responses to that too. Um, Worst offseason move. You go. I'm going to think about this. If, I don't. I, I don't really want to cop out here. I just don't necessarily have one. If I if I could pick one, it would be. Could they have been a little bit more aggressive with their cap space and tried to get in on a bigger name? But that that only makes sense if you really believe 
that they were that they're the real deal at 48 wins and that you want to go out and give a long-term contract. Maybe you could have outbid the Nuggets for Will Barton, but he turned down less money uh, to return to Denver. I, I think the GM said that. So it's uh, there. There's not really. I don't think. I actually think they had for what they did last season, where it's possible. I think Victor Oladipo is closer um, to last season as his new normal than not. But if there's a chance that they're not this 48 to 50 win team, they've now allowed themselves a, a bunch of different escape routes without sacrificing anything from last season. They've kind of they again they haven't doubled down. They've leaned into it, and so this might be the only team that I I look at and say, oh, I don't like. Uh, any offseason move that they made or that they should have made a different move. Even some of their things on the margins, uh, like getting Elise Johnson uh, in the second round, that uh, he might actually be a guy that gets rotation minutes, which just complicates their front court even more. Um, maybe Nate McMillan's extension. I don't know how much I trust him as their head coach, their shot profile on offense, d- despite the fact that they kind of hovered uh, inside the top 12 for much of the season. They were just hitting a ridiculous number of of long twos. They shot too many long twos to me, and so to give him an extension is just I I don't know. I'm not sure that he's the guy that I would have wanted um, to just to just have under contract for I think through 2020-2021. You don't trust long twos? No, I'm sorry, guys. I, I do not. And I you know what? I have not seen enough evidence in the preseason that they're going to get away from that either. Well, that's. Uh irrefutable evidence that you are a nerd according to twitter if you do not like stuff like that um i guess i would go i mean i already talked about how i kind of like this move so i of the moves that they made i guess Doug mcdermott's the one that you might be able to nitpick because they've already got boyan bogdanovich and maybe it's going to be hard to get mcdermott minutes at the four which is where i think he should play but like i said before I, i i think it does make some sense um, to have him there. It's just, it is kind of crazy that this team was just panned after the Paul George trade. And now (laughs) obviously they outperformed everyone's expectations last season, including mine. Um, And that they're at a point now where we, we can't even really find a bad move from them this summer. So shout out to the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, it's I McDermott. If you wanted squeaky clean books for next summer, and you were perfectly set up, looking at after Young opted in, he's going to come off the books, and Joseph and Collison and Bogdanovich, and now also Evans. You, you can kind of nitpick about that, but again, he's under contract for under an average of eight million dollars a year. It's just tough to it's tough to really pinpoint anything wrong with their offseason. Again, the the Nate McMillan extension makes me more uneasy than anything else that they did. I think that's understandable. Most likely breakout player. Um, did Demonis Sabonis already break out? No, I don't. I think he needs to be in a higher volume role, which he could kind of get. He's my pick as well, by the way. If you're picking him, uh, I think he. Yeah, because I, I'm going to go with him. I, he obviously got way better last year as a as in you know comparison to his rookie season. Um. But I do think there's probably another level for him to get to. He, uh, this is this is a big theme with me. But he's another passing big man. Um, and there were stretches last season where the Sabonis Oladipo pairing was actually more effective than Oladipo Turner. I don't know if it wound up that way, um, but they certainly had some good chemistry together. He's a good rebounder. Uh, he's got decent touch. Um, 
They need to, and this might be a stylistic thing of the Pacers. They need to really weed long twos out of his diet and give him more three pointers. He should be attempting like three to probably four to five per 36 minutes with the way that he kind of just pops off of screens to around 20 feet or something. But that might, again, that might just be the way the Pacers are coached because that, that's a, that was a collective wart for them last year. I would totally agree with that. If he was, if he was doing pick and pops for threes instead of long twos, I think that would, um, the other thing with him is his portability defensively. If they're going to play Turner and Sabonis a lot together, and it seems like they will, he's going to have to close out and just defend on the perimeter. He mm-hmm. looks awkward in all those situations, even in some of his closeouts on the preseason. He's been a little bit quicker, I feel like, but he just looks hesitant still and isn't doing it right. Not, I know him and Miles Turner did a bunch of yoga, I guess, to work on their hips. That was the biggest thing in that Zach Lowe column. Uh, they really wanted more mobility in their hips. If he gets better there, you know, if he adds anything to his game, he becomes better than Miles Turner already. And I still think Turner has the higher ceiling, probably in part because of what I think he can do defensively in time, but he's yet to make any sort of leap and doesn't show the same initiative or vision on offense that Sabonis does. Mm-hmm. And I think vision on offense for Biggs is crucial these days. I think vision is crucial to the Avengers. Sorry. Wow. That was a terrible well played. <laughs> Better defense. Oh, go ahead. Defense. Uh, I was going to say player most likely to be traded on this team. Oh, I was going to. I was going to talk about Sabonis' defense. Oh, go first. ahead. I've, um, I've actually wondered this a few times with about a few different players, and teams obviously want guys who can switch all over the floor um, because of how many ball screens are run in the NBA. I've always wondered if you wanted to create more minutes for your plotting old school big man, why not just park him under the rim and have the other four guys play zone? Um, Interesting. I, I, I just, I, I'm always surprised that we are not always, at least for the last year or two, I've wondered why we haven't seen more teams steer into that. It's been a long time now, but seven years ago, the Mavericks had a really, really effective zone defense in the year that they won the title. Uh, we, we've just seen teams steer so hard into pick and roll and find the mismatch that you want that I'm surprised nobody's tried zone more often. And maybe you would just get bombed out of the building because zones traditionally give up a lot of threes, but I think it might be worth a shot. If you're a team like the Pacers and you want Sabonis, you you just have him clog the lane and get more mobile guys to cover his, um, his, you know, the corners and you have your guards up top. I'm sure everybody knows how a zone works, but, um, (laughs) long story short i'm just surprised more of the big men haven't been used that way yeah that's i'm and if they're going to commit to these dual big lineups in indy and they might have to i mean if you're going to give uh at least johnson minutes he's switchy but if tj leaf plays himself into the rotation somehow and he's been hot and cold in the preseason you have kyle o'quinn that is young probably needs time at the four you talked about mcdermott at the four that's a hell of a front court log jam and so it's gonna be a lot about just which combinations work. And if, if the bonus can just boast more mobility on the defensive end, or if, if they're going to simplify their defensive schemes for him, maybe that's a path to them kind of improving their defense was better than their offense after the all-star break last year. And th- that's, what's interesting about this team. And a lot of the minutes people have been quick to kind of point out how poorly the Pacers performed when Sabonis uh, and Turner played together last year. 
very few of those minutes came with Thaddeus Young, who's who's a fantastic defender. And if you plug him in at the three, I don't know what that does to Bedanovich's minutes. But that I, I, there's a path to there still being a good defense during those minutes. I'm actually more interested in the offense with this team. You have a bunch of guys who can make shots, but from Zabonis to Turner to even Bogdanovich a little bit and and Evans, I think is there. Are they going to take the right shots? Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, it's definitely a question mark. Like you said, they were far and away um, one of the the, the shot happy teams from mid range. That's for sure. Player most likely to be traded on the Pacers. They actually have uh, a decent amount of movable contracts. Bojan Bogdanovic, $10.5 million expiring. Darren Collison, $10 million expiring. Corey Joseph, $8 million expiring. Thad Young, almost $14 million expiring. Um, so I, I think they have deals that might be attractive and players that might be attractive to other teams. It's kind of hard to pinpoint one guy that's surefire – trade candidate i think they should hang on to thaddeus young um i I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league he just kind of has done his job with very little fanfare for the last several years even going back to the 76ers um if i'm looking at all these expiring deals i'm gonna say maybe boyan bogdanovich um interesting although that's that's even kind of weird because like you said they've got so many guys that love the long two and he's one of the only guys who'll fully space the floor out um, to the three, but maybe he becomes attractive to some team in need of some contender in need of shooting, uh, around the trade deadline. They could get some offers from him, but like I said, there's a bunch of different guys who I think could be, uh, attractive options for other teams. My guess would be they flip one of the point guards, either Cal Collison or Joseph, just because you're not going to resign both. You have Evans now as well. It seems like they run so much of the offense too. Right. You have him. And then it also seems like they really like Aaron holiday. And so maybe it's a matter of they trade who they think is going to be more expensive this summer, just because Collison's making more money now, but he's going to be a little bit older than Joseph. So would he cost less? So maybe you move Joseph to one of these teams that are looking for a starting point guard. But if the Pacers make a move and I don't think they will until a few months into the season when they kind of have a better idea of who they are. And even then they might not want to, eat up their cap space for next summer. Uh, I'm not sure that they would make a move. I'd, I'd still go with one of the point guards, though, would be my guess. Yeah, I think we'd probably both uh, we'd probably both lean towards them not making a move, it sounds like. Yeah. Better offense or defense for them? You said after the All-Star break they were better on defense? Yeah. I'm going to go with defense just because you've, you've kind of talked me into – and I, we knew this already, but they, they don't have a great shot profile. And if Victor Oladipo's breakout isn't completely sustainable, if he takes even a slight step back, um, I think that could mean big trouble for their offense. They Maybe Tyreek Evans makes up for that gap, but if I had to pick between the two, um, I'll say probably the defense is better, but this is a team that could be above average in both. And the thing with their offense, too, and this isn't – Victor Oladipo can regress and still be an all-star because he might have been one of the 20 best players in the league last year. Yeah. Uh, But you kind of saw his pull-up percentages fell off. Maybe having Evans sort of opens that up for him. But is Tyreek Evans really going to shoot 40.5% on pull-up three-pointers again? 
Uh, is Victor Oladipo going to be at that level? He hit 35.3% of his pull of three-pointers. Both of them hit a bunch of tough shots. If they fall off even a little bit, the offense will kind of feel it. There's, there is a chance the offense improves, though, because you're taking what you had and now putting Evans into it, but you're banking on both those players being the same guys. After the All-Star break, though, the Pacers were fifth in defensive rating, and if you're going to play Zabonis and Turner more than you did, Last year, yes, that puts it at risk, but I, I would then expect Thaddeus Young to get more minutes in those scenarios as well, and he kind of inoculates you against some of the hairier scenarios that you would face if Zabonis and or Turner aren't ready to be interchangeable at the four and the five together. I'm going to go defense as well. That This is one of the tougher ones, though, because I could see it being the offense. Yeah. Uh, playoffs or nah, I think that's a pretty easy one. Yeah, they're in. They're out. No, they're in. We both had them um, when we did the playoff things. I think we both put them in the same spot, which was where it was. We had them in. The, I had them. You had them fifth. I had them fourth. I'm higher on the Pacers this year. Wow. That might. I would probably move them down though because of the team that we're about to talk about. But the Pacers are a playoff team. What's their ceiling though? Either wins or how? Far, could you see them getting to the Eastern Conference Finals? I could see them winning 50 games in the regular season and winning a first-round series. I don't think I see them getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and I think they probably have to get to, like, fourth or fifth to even get through the first round. Because I just – I don't see them beating Boston, Philly, or uh, Toronto in a series. I would say 50 – winning 50, maybe a little bit more than 50 games. And, and – I. I could talk myself into them being in the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's I'll, I think I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to mirror what you said and just say maybe 50, 52 games and, and winning a, a playoff series. Eastern Conference Finals feels a little ambitious. In large part because of this division rival, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, the Bucks last season, their vitals, according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, they were 44-38, obviously, uh, 12th in offensive efficiency, 18th in defensive efficiency. Uh, their net rating, minus 0.3, ranked 20th. <laughs> what was their best offseason move, Andy? Uh, Mike Buddenholzer? Yeah, I, I don't even know that we need to spend much time on this, and it's been reflected in their their shot profile. I think it was David Locke tweeted out that they went from attempting – it was like 53%. It was something, I can't even remember the stat. I'm trying to find it right now. Oh, the Bucks last year took 56% of their shots in the restricted area and from behind the arc. During the preseason, that number has climbed above 80%. Preseason is preseason, but that's kind of par for a Coach Bud team. Yeah, that would, if they maintain that, that would be fantastic. I think he's going to help a lot of those players. Um Especially Giannis, I I just don't. It's no surprise <laughs> that they haven't been coached terribly well over the last few seasons. So I think it's, I think it's clearly Coach Bud. He's going to get those guys moving. He's going to get them a lot more open shots. He's going to get the ball movement. Um, finally, <laughs> I think Giannis has been one of the most fun players to watch over the last few years. And finally, he could be on a team that's also really really fun to watch. And even if he doesn't make improvement as a jump shooter, just to put him in situations where he's he'll probably be surrounded by four guys who will stand behind the arc. We can talk about how well some of them are going to hit those threes. 
that's just going to be huge for his just individual spacing and what he can do with that extra room. Yep. Uh, if you had to pick a player, though, as opposed to Buttonhauser, because they had uh, the Ilyasova and Lopez pickups were really good. Yeah. I, I actually like both of those. Um, it's probably good that we didn't have to pick because I don't know what I would choose. Yeah, I think I think you could even play Ilyasov. I was thinking Brooke Lopez just because, um, like you said, having four guys out there who can space the floor around Giannis is is really going to help. And I'm curious to see if, if Bud will even play Giannis a decent amount of minutes at the five and have him out there with four guards who can really shoot it. But You're like uh, reading my mind right now because <laughs> so last year the bucks played Giannis at the five for 232 possessions during which time they were they had a net rating of negative 8.5 the offense was okay but they coughed up 116.2 points per 100 possessions according to clean Ooh. the glass and Ilyasova to me would be super important to making that combination work because you almost don't have to build Antetokounmpo as a center now. We saw Ilyasova play some five in Philly, and they're sort of interchangeable there. And when yep. you look at, um, for a majority of, of those lineups uh, where Giannis was at the five last year, Middleton was the four. And I don't dislike Middleton at the four, but the advanced metrics don't really back up playing him there. It just seems like he's the type of player who will struggle against those bigger, stronger, whether they're small ball fours or traditional power forwards. That's not, and I think you could say the same about Giannis Antetokounmpo. He can be, he he can contest a lot of shots at the rim, and he has the size and length to kind of defend every position. But if you really put some, just like size, just like bulk up against him, he could struggle. And Ilyasova is probably better built um, to navigate that, while also not being as cement footed as a as a Brook Lopez. Yeah, yeah, I think they had a solid offseason in addition to the. Um... So what would you? What was their worst offseason move, their biggest loss, or something that they did, didn't do that you wish that they did? Um, I don't know. I don't. This is another one. I don't. I don't feel like I can really nitpick. Because uh, I, I mean, their biggest loss was probably Jabari Parker, but I'm not sure how much that hurts them. It, might, it took some. Have, it took some guts for them not to match that. I mean, why is why is Shabazz Muhammad on the payroll right now? Is probably yeah, just my my eyes kind of uh, zoned in there too. But he's only making he's making less than two million a year. So I don't care. <laughs> I mean, he's at least another body on the wing. I, I don't think he's going to hurt them that much. He's not I mean, guaranteed too, and I don't think they haven't waived him yet. Maybe they'll still just get rid of him, but. I just, why is it, you know, Tim Frazier uh, is an interesting piece for them there, but they have so many backup point guards that he, if, if, if Muhammad ends up making the roster and Tim Frazier does, that's just something I could see myself harping on. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I could see how that's a bad move, but it just seems so, um, seems almost nominal to me. It's nominal, but why? Like Shabazz Muhammad does not help you. No, probably not. <laughs> Pakanaten helps you way more than Shabazz Muhammad would. What's that? Pakanaten is going to help them way more than Shabazz Muhammad ever could. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, but I will say the Hawks, <laughs> the Bucks, the Hawks. Wow, overall had a stellar off season. They didn't have a lot to work with cap wise either, so they use their exceptions. They get two quality players, um, and even I mean I like Kanaten just as this guy that maybe can hit some catch and shoot threes. They didn't have. 
the the best spacing last year, but they weren't exactly overrun with shooters either. So you can criticize Jason Kidd just for the way they looked at times and how predictable they were on offense. But it seems like now they have the ability to really space the floor. Uh, Ilyasova is going to be a great part of that. Brook Lopez in, in his pick and pops should really help them as well. Who's their most likely breakout candidate? Okay, I'm going to go with a weird one here, and I'm going to say Yanni Antetokounmpo. Uh, okay. Um, I don't. Obviously, Giannis is. I mean, he's basically broken out already. I do think Coach Bud is going to make him better, and he's going to make life easier on him. Um, there's really not much room for him to to go. He's he was right on the cusp of a 60 true shooting the last two seasons. I think he finally gets over that this year. I think he might push up closer to a league average three-point percentage. But here's here's where the breakout really happens for me. I think his assists tick up. And he's already, over the last few seasons, averaged around five um, per 36 and, and just under four. Or he's averaged just under four per game for his career. Um, it's, it's right around five for the last three seasons. But I think he's a guy that could average like six or seven assists. And it doesn't sound like a huge increase, um, but if he's scoring one or two more points per game and then generating two or three more points per game as a passer, uh, I, I think that's where his ceiling uh, goes up a little bit more. Everybody talks about becoming a better three-point shooter, and that would obviously help, but I think there's still a little bit more room for him to grow as a playmaker, and I think Bud is, is the perfect coach to unlock that. Um, fair, but because I don't want to cheat like you do serially, <laughs> I'm picking Chris Middleton in the sense that I could see him being an all-star in the East. And what I think Bud is really going to do well for him is improve his shot selection a little bit. A lot of people were down on Chris Middleton last year in large part because of his shot profile, but he was hitting and making some really difficult shots. He shouldn't have necessarily been taking them at the same time. He shot 545 percent between 10 and 16 feet 45.2 percent on long twos they shouldn't account for nearly those shots together accounted for more than 40 percent of his total looks to me we'll probably see him trade in a, a bunch of those crappy twos for threes uh, he, he probably won't be found in the post toiling away or just in isolation toiling away as much and it'll just help him become a more well-rounded offensive player and to that point over the past three seasons there are four players who are averaging at least 18 points, four assists, and 1.5 steals per 36 minutes while shooting 38% or better from three. They are Stephen Curry, Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, and Chris Middleton. This is just someone I think to have. The Bucks don't have a lot of this youthful upside on the roster unless you think Bud is going to tap into DJ Wilson or Thon Maker somehow. Maybe think st- I, I would listen to cases for Sterling Brown. Um, I'm not too high on Dante DiVincenzo. I know some people who really like him, but Middleton just seems like he needs to be kind of on all-star alert this year, given the coach he's playing for, the better spacing he's going to be surrounded with, and the body of work that he's put forth the past three or four years. Yeah, I could see that, and he was ridiculous in the playoffs. Um, but I feel like you cheated too, because everybody's known about Chris Middleton for a while. You picked Giannis Attentacupo. <laughs> And I gave a rock solid uh, explanation for <laughs> that it. That you did, but you cheated more than I did. Uh, player most likely to be traded. Um, gosh, uh, 
Eric Bledsoe, fifteen million dollar expiring contract. This is another team that I would be kind of surprised to see make a move, but um, I don't know. Maybe if Coach Bud just loves Malcolm Brogdon and they think they can get some kind of asset for Eric Bledsoe, I'm not really seeing a name that jumps off the page for me on this one. Bledsoe is interesting because I don't think you can. When you look at him and Chris Middleton and even Brogdon entering free agency at the same time, you can't afford to give up Chris Middleton just because of the direction the NBA is headed. Eric Bledsoe yeah. would be the candidate to me. I th- there's a chance he gets paid less than Middleton, but the Bucks are going to have to start worrying about the luxury tax next year if they want to pay both of them. And I'm not sure that they're going to pay both of them. So if they decide if Bledsoe gets off to a slow start, maybe he's not hitting as many of his jumpers, perhaps they're getting more production out of more production than they expected out of Delavadova, and they have Brogdon. Maybe they trust even Chenzo to just handle the ball more. He could become expendable to them, particularly if he's not going to give two craps on the defensive end like we saw at points during the playoffs last year. I, I don't think, think it's overwhelmingly likely that they move him, yeah. but he would be the pick for me. And Brogdon, I think when he's playing the point, they might they, they have the potential to be a little bit more uh, versatile on defense. He's not huge, but he's six foot five, and he's a guy that I would trust guarding wings more than Bledsoe. He just looks more engaged on that side of the floor. Oh, just went, sure. particularly, you know, looking at transition or even just in the half court, he just overall looks more polished there. I, yeah. I still think, though, if they want to give themselves a real chance at making noise in the East, you probably don't touch this core unless I don't. know. Maybe there's a major injury or something. I I don't know. Bledsoe would be the pick, but again, I, I don't know or I don't think that they'll actually make a, a big splashy trade. Better Agreed. offense or defense? Um, I'll say offense. They they've got some interesting defensive players like Giannis. I think Middleton's a decent defender. Bledsoe can be if he's locked in, like we said. Brogdon can be. Um, I just think C- Coach Bud is gonna um, he's gonna tap into some offensive potential that just hasn't really been explored yet for this team. Yeah, I'm with you there. And his his teams have always been really good defensively for the most part, and they haven't necessarily needed elite rebounders uh, to be or shot blockers to get to that point, and that bodes well for the Bucks. But you look at the offensive talent just on an individual level at this roster: Giannis, Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon's a good three point shooter, Brooke Lopez, Ursan Ilyasova. There are a bunch of guys who can create their own shots. There are a bunch of guys who can hit shots off the catch. Uh, I would think that their their offense would, is going to be much better than it was last year and really just put some distance between itself and the defense. Where, Agreed. Where do you have them? Playoffs or not? We're both going to say yes. Yep. Playoffs. What is their ceiling in the East? You had them fourth, and I had them fifth. I actually think... I think they're going to end up – I'm going to catch shit for this. I know it. I think there's a really good chance that they're going to end up being third in the East. I don't think that's crazy at all. The Sixers worry me, and that's probably something to say for the Atlantic Division pod. But I just – losing Ilyasova and Bellinelli, their spacing is going to be wonky. I didn't see the whole starting Markel Fultz thing coming. I know you can always give him a quick hook, but now the bench is just almost devoid of shot creators. And I know that they can stagger minutes and blah, 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 but you – there just seems to be like a weird balance now in the starting lineup and they're taking a risk. It's a forward thinking risk, which I think you can respect, but they're breaking up probably the best five man lineup from last year to get full extra reps, which again, maybe, maybe it really is a good harbinger for the future, 
but I could see them underachieving relative to all these lofty expectations that have been put in front of them, which opens the door for a team like the Bucks, who seems like they're finally going to forge this identity under Budenholzer. Yeah. I could see them winning mid to high 50s and um, conference finals, right? Can you see them winning the East? I was going to say this might be even crazier than you were willing to go. I wouldn't be stunned if they were in the NBA finals. Okay. Because there's a, there's a pretty, there's a decent chance they've got the best player in the conference in Yanni Antetokounmpo. I think that's just a fact at this point. It's not, I mean, maybe Kawhi Leonard perhaps, but we don't know enough about him. Yeah. There's there's Kawhi. And I think it's, it's basically between those two. And I think if Kawhi is fully healthy and engaged, there's going to be an argument between those two. But um, I I think Toronto is the number one team in the East. Uh, I think Boston's probably number two, although I don't think they're as locked into a top two spot as some other people think. Um, But basically if we get into those top four teams and I'm, I might be flip flopping now too, because I think I had the bucks. Did I have the bucks fourth in our playoff predictions? Yep. Okay. I'm going to say of those four teams, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Sixers and the Bucks. None of those four would shock me to see in the NBA Finals. The Sixers would surprise me a little bit. I, I would say who's I'm so high on Ben Simmons, um, and I think I'm I'm not quite as high on Joel Embiid as a lot of people are, but he's obviously a <laughs> great talent. And when you start with those two at the top, I I wouldn't be stunned to see them win. Um, Series in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and there. I mean, if you have one top ten player in the East, and I think by the end of the season, Joel Embiid might have been there closer to the end of last season, but either him or Ben Simmons could easily become a top ten player this year. They, might have, they they might. I mean, it's not inconceivable to say they have two of the five best players in the East by the end of the season, right? No, because let, let's assume Kawhi's healthy, he's in there, and then you have Giannis. Who else are you definitely putting in that discussion? Kyrie could belong in there. Gordon Hayward could belong in there. Um, it gets really difficult kind of after that. Yeah, I, but I mean, it's not it's not crazy to think that no, I'm two saying, of uh, that's in support be, of what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Kyrie's probably... Victor Oladipo might belong, but I don't think you can yeah. say, if you're going to look at, assuming health, if you're going to say who's guaranteed to be a top five player in the East... I'm probably at Atentacumbo and Leonard, and then it's just open everywhere else. I'm not even ready to put John Wall in that department. There's just agree. a bunch of players who could enter that fold. I agree. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. All right. I think that kind of wraps us up, though. <laughs> we tackled the Jimmy Butler situation, went a little bit long on our season preview as per usual, but I basically I'm just going to say you're welcome because clearly everyone wants to listen to us talk for nearly two hours. What was your ceiling for the Bucks? I'm still going to say Eastern Conference Finals. I don't. I can't see them beating Boston. If there's, if you're going to tell me Giannis Antetokounmpo all of a sudden has a jumper, but kind of like they did with Ben Simmons, like that's a team that can because of the way they defend and the, all the different ways they can can defend, they could make non shooters who are even great turn into. I don't want to say liabilities, but these solvable entities on the offensive yeah. end. And I can't right now see. Milwaukee beating Boston and if they were facing Toronto in a series we have to see how Toronto's defense fares but just looking at the personnel and their versatility I'd probably still put them above Milwaukee as well I think that's fair um 
But like you said, we've run through the central division at this point. We gave ourselves 15 minutes on Jimmy Butler and five minutes per team before we started recording. And uh, I will 20 on Butler. (laughs) I will echo Dan's uh, sentiments and just say you're welcome because we wound up giving you guys almost two hours of content. For those of you who have uh, a commute, uh, again, you're welcome. This will make it easier. (laughs) Or worse, (laughs) depending on how you look at it. If you want to, if it was worse and you want to let us know on Twitter, uh, you can find me uh, at Andrew D. Bailey. You can find Dan at Dan Favalli. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Um, feel free to give us compliments there, too. Uh, we both get yelled at a lot. It might be nice to actually have some nice things said to us. Um, also, if you want to say nice things, a good place to do that is uh, iTunes reviews. Um, does Spotify do reviews? I haven't even looked at that. I was just shocked that we were on there, to be honest with you. I was when I when I went to publish that episode I did without you and saw that we were on Spotify. I was thrilled. Um, so for those of you, and we've gotten requests from people, uh, not super often, but I've seen a bunch of them where it's like, "Hey, I don't, I don't have uh, Apple Podcasts," and there there were other ways, but I don't think any of them quite as accessible as Spotify. So. If you are one of those people who doesn't have iOS, now you have a really easy way to find the show on Spotify. And if you have friends who uh, aren't on iOS, you can tell them to find it on Spotify too. Um, anyway, that's my long-winded way of of our typical spiel. Get the word out. Get more people listening. Um, we really appreciate the support that we already have. You guys are awesome. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Ben Oudry and to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.